and welcome back to a very special edition of the Player Analysis Show, brought to you by the United Masterclass. I'm your host, Hader Abani, and I am delighted to be joined by Joe Fischetti. Joe, I'm surprised you're still not drunk, to be honest, uh, after Napoli won the league <laughs> for the first time. We were just talking off camera for 33-odd years. Today is a Kim Min Jae special, and I'm really delighted to have you on the show. So welcome back on the show. This is probably the second time I think you've been on. been a while since we've had a conversation I mean, what a fantastic uh, year it's been for you. What an amazing team you've got at Napoli as well. Um, you know, Cavara has been fantastic. Osman as well. Very, very good team. But maybe Kim is actually the unsung hero. And we're going to talk about that today, aren't we? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me back. I don't know if it's a great thing that I come on this show because I only seem to come on when there's a good possibility we're going to lose a star player <laughs> to United. But, uh, you know, I mean, the, the important thing there is that we've had these great star players and you mentioned a couple of them there. You know, there's a few players who are perhaps a bit uh, more unsung heroes even than Kim. You think of guys like Stanislav Lobotka in the midfield or... Uh, Piotr Zelinski, Andre Frank, Zambo, and Giso. That whole midfield trio has been really important to Napoli. But certainly, Kim Min Jae has been just, he's lived up to the nickname Monster, right? He has been an absolute monster for Napoli at the back. Um, and I genuinely believe that this Scudetto does not happen without Kim Min Jae in the squad. Really, really interesting. Let's let's do a quick um, kind of overview about Kim, you know, like. How, how he came to Napoli, what, what, you know, where did he come from? So I'm going to ask you that. Uh, 26 years old, obviously South Korean international. And a player that's almost, I mean, may, maybe, you know, because I am i don't watch Napoli week in, week out. So maybe from my perspective, I've only really seen him emerge in the last couple of seasons. But, uh, you know, just tell us a little bit more about him and his journey to Napoli. Sure. So, I mean, even for myself, I only have sort of a, a really thorough understanding of his one season at Napoli. I didn't follow him, you know, in his days in Turkey. He played for Fenerbahce. Before that, he played in China. But he was highly rated when he came. And there were some doubts amongst Napoli fans, as there were with Karaskelia and other guys, because it was a leap, right? I mean, with all due respect to the Turkish Super League, you tend to think a league that's not one of the top five European leagues, even though now we've gotten to a point where pretty much every league is a feeder league for the Premier League, I think there's still a bit of a gap between that top five and everyone else. So there were some doubts about how these guys would settle in at the club, and he came in and totally lived up to the hype. And there were big shoes to fill as well, right? Because, you know, for Premier League fans who have only seen Kaladu Kulibaly at Chelsea they probably have a different perspective. They probably think he's not as great as he is. But for his decade at Napoli, Koulibaly was probably the best defender in the entire league for most of that time. So Koulibaly, uh, so Kim was coming in to fill in some pretty big shoes. And perhaps that's the biggest compliment that we can give him, which is that not that Napoli fans forgot about Koulibaly, but they certainly... Um, don't feel like we've had a drop in quality. He hasn't been missed as much as we thought we would. Uh, absolutely, absolutely spot on, Nash. That's a great, really great point. Uh, with the Koulibaly that we've seen in the Premier League has been an absolute shadow of himself. I'm quite shocked, actually, what I've seen from Koulibaly. I, I thought we'd see the one that we saw in, in Serie A. I know he's over 30 now, so maybe there's an element of decline. 
but the fact that Koulibaly was the best centre back when you had the likes of Chiellini and Benucci, etc., and, and so many great centre backs in in um, in Serie A, so that's that's actually a very very good point. Something I didn't think about. Joe, I want to talk about his performances, and you mentioned the impact, but some of his performances this season. How key has he been for that Scudetto? I know we mentioned uh, you know at the beginning that almost an unsung hero, but what has been so pivotal about him that has allowed Spalletti and the team to deliver this first title in so many years. Yeah. So if I were to, you know, tell United fans, if there was one game to go look at, to see how Kim plays and get a sense of, of what he can do, I'd probably say the match against Milan at the first match, which was at the San Siro where Napoli won two to one. And there was a play at the end of the, of the match that kind of summed up, what Kim is in a nutshell. And what happened was like a 94th, 95th minute uh, chance for Brahim Diaz. And Kim comes flying in and makes this pivotal block, protects the lead. He has this huge burst of excitement and, you know, the, the defender celebration as if he scored a goal. And it was a block that left Paolo Maldini, one of the best defenders ever in any league, you know, now one of the directors at Milan was in awe. At, at this play that Kim made. So I think that kind of sums up what he's capable and what he's, what he's capable of doing, what he delivers, but he has so many strengths and I'm sure we'll get into that, but he really is a difference maker at the back. It's, it's, you know, it would be devastating to lose him. You can understand why, you know, there's interest from the premier league, but he's such a high quality player. We'll definitely, uh, definitely have to look at that and, and see that game. Joe, let's talk about those strengths. And, um, you know, we've got the graphic here from FB Ref. But before we, we delve into it, because I think a lot of fans will be interested to know how is he with his passing. You can already see, look, 97th percentile in terms of passes attempted, which is which is up there with the best in Europe. And pass completion is very, very high. His progressive passes. Before we go into that, I want to look at the statistic at right at the bottom. And that's the aerials, aerial duels one. Now, the Premier League is a very physical league. Um, it's a league where, you know, when uh, Lissandro Martinez obviously came to the Premier League as well, a lot of people say he can't play centre-back, namely Jamie Carragher. Um, and uh, he's shown that, you know, the height is, is absolutely nothing. I mean, you think about some of the, the greatest centre-backs of all time, Cannavaro, for example, height's not really, um, you know, such a big issue anymore. But in the Premier League, for, for some reason, you know, certain pundits like to, like to mention that. But something that Martinez does need next, next to him is someone who is, who is aggressive as well, because United want to play on the front foot. United want to play a high line. Um, and they also, I think one of the biggest issues is that when Varane doesn't play and this Martinez, let's say with Lindelof or Maguire, uh, United become passive. And Ten Hag wants to play on the front foot. He wants to play a high line. He wants to play, he wants his defenders to be, you know, front foot defending. Um, the aerial, aerial duels one is something that really stuck to me when I was doing my research and from what I've seen from him. So talk, talk, talk to us a little bit because you mentioned that the thing that stands out most to you is that tackle or that block on Diaz. So from what it sounds like to me, he has phenomenal um, reading of the game, but he's also aggressive. And that is so, so key for what Manchester United are looking for in the heart of their defense. Those are two of his three greatest strengths. The other one being his pace. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But as far as aerial duels goes, he's 1.9 meters tall. So he's already a tall center back. And he's very capable of winning the balls in the air. He doesn't score a lot of goals necessarily. I think he scored two goals for Napoli, but I mean, that's not necessarily what you're bringing him in for. But in terms of winning those aerial duels, those long balls in the midfield, 
when you're playing that high line, he's going to eat up most of those passes in the air. And then he's also going to eat up most of the passes on the ground because of his aggression. And part of that, a huge part of that is his read of the game because he can see those passes coming before they, they're made so he can anticipate them and get in front of the, the forward or the midfielder and, and win that ball back. Part of that is how quick he is because for a central defender, he has blistering pace. It's it's really phenomenal how fast he is. And that also allows him to be more aggressive because he knows that even on the rare occasion that he might get caught out or not win that ball, he's so quick that he can still recover and probably still make a tackle or at least pressure the opponent into missing the target with their shot or, or playing a slightly off pass or, or whatnot. So yeah, his his aerial duels and his aggression are two of the, the key factors in the way he plays. And then also, it sounds like, I mean, I don't watch United as much as you and, and your viewers do, obviously, but it sounds like in terms of what Ten Hag wants to do, it's a similar type of system that Luciano Spalletti plays at Napoli, which is a high line and a high press and counter press. So that is the whole basis of Napoli's defensive system, the whole basis of their system as a whole in terms of uh, football, because Napoli try to win the ball high up the park and Spalletti is very, um, he's been very focused on having a very compact defense. So if you're playing high and you're compact, that means your back line is high as well, of course. Um, and so you need players that are able to win those balls when the opponents are pressured into going long because that's what the high press is going to do. And that's where Kim is a really key part of that defense in, in winning those balls, those long balls, and again, those those long through balls. And if the ball's played over the top, he's probably the first one that's going to get to it before even some of the fastest forwards in the league. That's a really, really fantastic overview. And when I'm listening to this, I'm, I'm... – I'm absolutely thinking about where he fits in the Manchester United and what holes he plugs and, and what weaknesses he solves. One of the biggest issues with United is, uh, I think, the, the front foot defending. We're lucky when Varane plays with with Martinez. United are able to do that. They're able to like Martinez is very very aggressive and he he gets on the front foot. Um, but the issue is when Varane doesn't play, and and this is why a lot of fans might ask, why are United looking at Kim? We've got Varane. Varane is world class and Varane will, will play games, but you've got to manage his minutes because he's he's very injury prone. And when you drop down, Lindelof has been decent, but you can't win a league title with Lindelof, let's say, next to uh, Martinez. I want to talk about um, his passing now, Joe, because obviously we, we mentioned it earlier. I mean, it's just green bars for for Kim, you know. Looking at the pass completion, yeah. <laughs> 97th percentile. You know, he's making around 72 uh, passes from centre-back, which, which is phenomenal. I mean, the, the modern game has changed, and I think this is the key, is that when you look at... Um, what defenders were asked to do back in the day. I'm not saying that there weren't good defenders on the ball. But they weren't asked to, to to start attacks and to build out from the back as frequently. And it's it's almost very rare that you find a player, you might find a deficiency in the player, right? So you might find a player that's very good in possession, but you might find them, they have weaknesses in the air, for example. Lindelof, I think, is one of those players. They might lack pace, they might lack aggression. But what it sounds like with Kim, and when I was looking at three key areas, I was looking at how is he in possession because Ten Hag wants to build out from the back, and that's been a big problem for Manchester United, a massive problem. And as, and as soon as you take Martinez out, there's no one that can play progressive passes. There's no one that's as comfortable on the ball, uh, you know, kind of with their back uh, back facing to goal. Uh, and I would also add that there there's been a lot of times where um, 
you know, building out from the back has been bypassed. We've had to go along. And then David De Gea, the goalkeeper, is a bit of an issue as well. So when I looked at this, the first thing I noticed was how much of an excellent passer Kim is. He's a volume passer as well. So he's passing a lot of passes. Um, he is progressive as well, which is huge. You know, you're looking at his progressive passes here and his distance, uh, which is a 96 percentile. So he's able to thread into midfield. Um, and I think one thing I did notice is that Obviously, he is, he is right-footed, so he's played on the left-hand side. Can he transition into that right-hand side and, and play next to left-footed centre-back? That's the first question I was going to ask. And the second question is, how is he under pressure? Because, um, you know, is this a case of teams sitting back against Napoli this year? So he's had a bit more time on the ball. This is why his passing statistics might be a little bit skewed. Or is he getting pressed and is he able to drive into space and play that, you know, play that difficult pass that needs to be played to get Napoli out of danger? So let me first address just all the green bars. Um, and and this will also, I think, address the question about playing out of the press. Napoli's system is a possession-based system. It's a patient buildup. It's a buildup from the back. So I think the key metrics on this chart are the progressive passes. Because I think the volume of passes is going to be a bit skewed by the way that Napoli play. Which is that Napoli may at times just pass the ball around at the back, especially if they have a lead and very often Napoli had lead. So I think there's a little bit of the, the numbers are a bit skewed there where there might be a lot of side-to-side -side passing between the two center backs or to the holding midfielder and then back to the center back again. But the fact that those progressive passing stats are so high still tells you that he's still capable of advancing the ball with the pass and doing it with accuracy. And that's something that Spalletti is also focused on. I watched a lot of the training sessions in the summer preseason, and we saw a lot of drills that were about the back line rotating the ball from one side to the other and making passes from, say, the left-sided center back to the right back or to the right-sided midfielder or the right-sided center back to the left back or left-sided midfielder. So being able to to switch the play, being able to make the occasional long ball. When you have a striker like Victor Osimhen, who has the pace that he has, the long ball was also a key part of Napoli's game this season. So you also need even your defenders, usually the fullbacks, uh, but also sometimes the center backs to be able to play the long ball with accuracy. So I think that's really important to acknowledge. And then one thing that, he, I mean, it's not going to be picked up much on the stats, but he's also capable of progressing the ball in the dribble, which is sort of something we're starting to see a bit of an evolution with center backs where they start to make runs forward occasionally. And, and Kim's capable of doing that as well. He hasn't done it a whole lot because he hasn't really needed to, but I think that's also something that he brings <clears throat> in terms of um, playing out of the press that's also a function of Napoli's system, and he's definitely cool on the ball, but I think that one is also not only a credit to Kim. That's also a credit to the midfielder. So Stanislav Lobotka, especially for Napoli, has been such a key part of the build-out because Spalletti has designed a system where everyone just gets rid of the ball quickly. It's fast. And when you're able, and they've been drilled to do this just throughout the season lately Napoli has looked a little bit uh, lower quality than they were for most of the the season but I mean once you've locked up the league it's hard to motivate players as much obviously and there are probably a lot of them still hung over from all the parties but um 
you know, if you look at sort of the core part of the key part of the season when they were still competing and, and had not locked up the title, it was a quick, uh, Napoli played out of the, the press with quick passes and quick movement and moving into space. It's all about space. So when you have a midfielder that shows for the ball like Lobotka does, that also relieves some of the pressure on, on the center back because they're not on the ball for a while. There's always an option, whether it's to the other center back, to one of the fullbacks, to the midfielder, to the keeper even. Um, so I think that's also reflected in the stats. Fantastic. And that was, that was a really good overview of some of his strengths. And uh, let's move on now to the final graphic, Joe. So we'll, we'll talk about some weaknesses, but I do want to actually touch on a strength that you mentioned earlier. So, you know, I mentioned the in possession, which was key for United, aerial defending as well. The final one would be, uh, you know, sort of his defending, let's say, on the ground. And I think this is actually one of his biggest strengths. You can see here already with the, with the um, percentage of dribblers tackled, he's in the 99th percentile, and uh, that's just that's just absolutely crazy, isn't it? I mean, he's 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 the best in Europe at doing that. Um, I think from when I've seen him play, what I like about him is his positional awareness is very good, and that that's a sign of a top top centre back, and that's also a sign of a centre back who, when they lose their pace, when they get older, you can think of like Thiago Silva, for example. Um, that they're able to still read the game and still play to a higher level because they read the game so, so well. And I think that's something which United have lacked with Harry Maguire. I don't think he reads the game well. He's slow, but he doesn't read the game well, and and, and he definitely needs to go in the summer. Um, but I think uh, the aggression that you mentioned as well and that defending on the front foot and being a proactive defender, uh, you know, being strong in one-on-one duels is really, really important for Ten Hag's system, especially when United are going to dominate possession with likes of Kim and the team when they improve the team. So when, for example, teams counter on on United, you know, you're almost confident that Kim will be able to to stop these tackles, you know, stop the transition. Um, something that, um, you know, you mentioned as well is kind of his speed and his strength. So let's talk about a little bit, his on-ground defending and his speed, because... Um, Martinez isn't slow, but he's not the he's not the quickest he's not the quickest centre back. The Premier League, you know, is a very very fast end to end. I'd say demanding league, uh, maybe less tactical and less strategic, let's say, than than Serie. I think that's fair to say. Um, so, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. How important these these characteristics are for United's defence going forward. You know, should Kim join the club? Yeah, so that the same features, the same qualities, that pace, that aggression, those also add up to being a good tackler on the ground. And and that read of the game is absolutely key as well. So you put all of those together, and he's a very difficult defender to get by. And that's why he, you know, he's been able to a lot of those tackles that he makes are not just when someone's running at him, often he's supporting his fullback and he's coming over to make a tackle because someone got by the fullback or they played a ball past the fullback. So yeah, it's the same qualities that, that make him a great tackler on the one. I didn't answer this question earlier, but you asked me about whether he can play on the right side of the center back pairing. And he absolutely can. Um, Amir Rachmani missed a a good period of time uh, earlier in the season due to injury. Who's his center back partner at Napoli. And Napoli's third center back, Juan Jesus, is left-footed. So the natural change was to play Juan Jesus on the left side of the center back pairing and Kim Min-jae on the right. And he was just effective there. And it wasn't surprising because he also plays on the right side of the center back pairing for South Korea. So uh, he can play on both sides and it doesn't change the quality of his play. But again, it's those that read of the game, that pace, 
and that aggression that allow him to be such a great tackler. And I have no doubt that his quality will stay high, even in a more physical, faster paced league like the Premier League. Fantastic. Let's just touch on a couple of weaknesses. I don't think we'll, we spent, you know, majority of the show talking about his strengths and you can just see them in the statistics. I mean, the statistics are backing up what you're watching week in, week out. I think that's that's a great thing. And that's a positive thing, uh, you know, for, for United fans that are interested in in kind of how he's performing, other stats backing up performances in the eye test. Absolutely. In terms of weaknesses, I think a lot of people look at this graphic here and this is the tackles and the defensive actions, let's say. And he's quite low on them. But I think it's important to, you know, to highlight that Napoli have dominated possession, dominated territory. He hasn't had to have much to do. So, um, but when he has had things to do, you can see here interceptions, for example. I actually think interceptions is a better um, marker of a defender rather than tackles. Like, you know, you could be playing for a side that plays a massive, massive, deep, low block. And their defenders are making seven, eight tackles, diving, last gas tackles in the box. Doesn't necessarily show what a well-rounded footballer are. So I think interceptions is a, is a great example, 75th percentile. He's reading of the game. He's proactive. He's getting on the front foot uh, and then starting the attacks for Napoli. But are there any weaknesses that United fans should be aware of? I mean, I think one of I, I think he's a fantastic player. And I, I'd be delighted if he joined. But one of the things that like, kind of in the back of my head is that, like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, you know, it's his first season in Napoli. He's had one breakout season. He is 26 years old. Like, is this an is this an example of being in a system? Is he a system player? That's basically what I'm trying to ask. You know, you, know, you look at the likes of uh, Dortmund in the past. We've had really, really good teams at Ajax, and the players have left. And because the environment, the tactics, the system. The chemistry with the team it doesn't mean they're bad players but you know maybe the system is, is working so nicely for them and they they fit into it so well that it's just it's all looking so so rosy and fantastic let's say so are there any weaknesses that maybe we should be aware of or you know maybe it's just a, a case of if he joins he's got the the baseline talent and and skills and fundamentals to be really successful it may be just a case of adjusting to a new league with with, with faster pace and, and different demands yeah, I think, I mean, maybe there there will be a bit of an adjustment to the pace of the league because, I mean, it's no surprise that Serie A is a, a slower-paced league, as you said, a bit more tactical perhaps. Although in recent years, it has become a lot more attack-minded. There's been way more goals. Um, whether that's correlated with penalty kicks, I'm not so sure. I think previous seasons, maybe yes, but this season they've kind of you know reduced the number of penalty kicks and, and the way they're calling them. That said... I think I wouldn't say he's a system player. And even if he was, I feel like United have a similar enough system that it shouldn't really be an issue. I mean, it's four at the back. You know, I talked about Koulibaly earlier and his struggles at Chelsea. That was a pretty dramatic change in system, not to mention like the coaching carousel there and all the different players coming in and out. Right. So Koulibaly struggled at Chelsea with that change, but that was going from a back four to a back three, at least at the time. Whereas Kim would be going from a back four to a back four. If if United start playing with a back three, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't think the team's built for that. But, you know, that would be a concern. Um, and I think it's important to note as well that you look at these stats and I, I'm always, I always take sort of volume stats with a grain of sand or a grain of salt, right? Because to your point, Napoli are such a possession-based team that you're just not going to have that much defending to do, right? Um, but... When he is called upon, his percentage of dribblers tackled is very high. His interceptions are very high. So he's getting the job when he's called. He's doing getting the job done when he's called upon. He just may not be called upon that often. And maybe that's something that that fans may have to think about as well. I think 
he is a very fit player and he's extremely durable. But, you know, if there's a higher chance that United are going to be defending compared to Napoli, just because it's a different league and a different style, and perhaps there's a bit more parity at the top with, you know, the likes of City and, you know, Arsenal had a great season and Newcastle on the up and all these things, uh, you know, Liverpool, you know, he may have to defend more and we'll have to see if that, you know, does that affect his game? Will he fatigue a little bit more and, and will his quality drop as a result of that? That could be a concern, I suppose, because Napoli have been so dominant this season that it hasn't really been a concern, but otherwise, I mean, he's as good as you, as you're going to get. He's one thing that we haven't talked about as well is, and it does probably um, factor into the percentage of dribblers tackled. There is he's, he's a very disciplined defender he got his fourth yellow card on match day 19. I think it was against Lernitana. So he's been playing since then on a yellow card suspension and has not gotten that fifth yellow card. It's been like 15, 16 rounds. And he's making so... He's making, but his quality he's going hasn't changed, right? It's not like he's being yeah. a cautious defender. His quality has remained just as high. Like the stats show that. These are stats that cover an entire season, not just the first half. So... He's also very disciplined in that regard and very clean, clean, not just in the sense of like dirty versus clean, but clean in terms of his ability to to tackle and, and win the ball without committing too many fouls. Really fantastic point on, you know, whether because Napoli is so dominant when he comes to United, they're still in the building phase and not as as uh, fluid in terms of their possession. I think he's going to be a massive part of it, though. You know, I, I always say that um, fix the goalkeeper's ability to play from the back, fix the centre backs, and and generally speaking, the team will hold the ball better. So that's a very very good point. You know, I actually think United aren't one of the best possession based sides in in the Premier League. They're just not. Let's be honest. There's so many good sides. Brighton are better than Man United would deserve. Amazing manager. I mean, you know, he's he's done a great job there. And you look at City as well, Arsenal. I'd say Liverpool are better than they're playing. You know, so it'd be interesting to see. Obviously, when United go and play these sides, if they if Ten Hag does sacrifice, let's say that ball, ball playing. Um, style for those sort of games and plays a little bit more compact and, and, and on the counter. Let's see what happens. But I think Kim will ma- massively help United to start implementing that uh, possession-based football that Ten Hag likes so much, much better. Final, final question, Joe. Um, you know, just just a, a couple of sentences answer. Will he stay or will he go? <laughs> it is so hard to say right now. I mean, I think just today or yesterday, one of Kim's members of his entourage came out and said that there haven't really been serious talks. You know, United have been interested in, in him since he played in China, but um, there hasn't been any serious contact. But I have a feeling that's because the release clause that would trigger the move doesn't take effect until July 1st, and it only stays available for 15 days. So there's not really any sense until there's something really solid or complete there's no point talking about it from the player standpoint or from his his player his agents and entourage's standpoint so i think for that reason though napoli fans are still holding out but and and there was even a there was even a rumor that he has to go serve in the army and his the time that he's going to go serve in korea happens to be during that (laughs) that period of time where the release clause can be paid i mean doesn't mean you can't activate a release clause. It doesn't, regardless of where he is on the planet, right? But, uh, you know, Napoli fans are holding out hope, but I see more and more of these these uh, rumors and these talks, and 
sometimes when there's smoke, there's fires. So I think it's going to be very difficult for, for Napoli to hold on to him. The only way I see Napoli holding on to Kim realistically is, well, two reasons. One is if United don't finish in the top four, because it seems like Champions League football is something that's very important to him, as it is for most players. And then two, if just the player's will is to stay. If there's something at Napoli that that makes him feel like he wants to spend another season there, then you know I can see him kind of blocking the deal by refusing to agree to terms with the club. But if he wants to play in the Premier League, which for most players, let's face it, that's the goal these days. It's the top league in the world. If money is a big part of the decision for him, he's going to definitely earn way more money at United, then I think it's just a matter of time. I think so. Top four is, uh, and Champions League is so, so important for United for, for multiple reasons, but just to be able to attract top quality players. Joe, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Where can the listeners list, uh, listen to the Forza Napoli podcast? Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, Forza Napoli pod um, or Forza Napoli podcast on all the usual streaming platforms, Forza Napoli pod on all the social media platforms. And also, um, if you're looking for written content, uh, ForzaNapoliPress.com. Thank you as always for joining me, my friend. Guys, make sure you check out Joe's fantastic content. Uh, Napoli have had an amazing season. I know a lot of you have been watching Napoli recently for, for Victor Osman, for example, for Kavara as well. Make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, turn on those notifications as well, and we'll see you all next time.